0: Matthew 23 and verse number 37. The Lord Jesus says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. I want to preach this Mother's Day message entitled, The Mother Hen. Would you uh, join me as we pray and ask the Lord to bless this time together? Father, thank you for the Word of God, and thank you for our mothers. Lord, I know that uh, this audience today, uh, what a vast array of mothers represented here. Lord, some that are here, some as we think about our mothers who are uh, no longer with us, uh, not present here today. Lord, our thoughts and our minds and our feelings go all different directions. And Lord, I pray that you would bless this time now. And above all, Lord, help us to point people, point everyone toward uh, the only hope that we have Lord, it's not our mothers, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, and I pray that you'd bless this time together. Thank you, Lord, for the song that we just heard. Thank you for the congregational singing. Lord, for your sweet presence here today, and we pray that you would receive glory and honor in all that's said and done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, and thank you for standing in honor of the Word of God. As I think about my mother, uh, birds were my mother's favorite. She had a collection of ceramic songbirds. I have here with me, Uh, my wife helped me out greatly here. I I had this on the table, and when I came to uh, church this morning, I forgot it, and I wanted to show it to you. I'm not much of a show-and-tell preacher, but this is something that has great significant value. This was, and I'm going to try to not drop it and break it, that would definitely be a memorable Mother's Day. This was one of the last things that we bought my mother the year before she passed away, and this is a snow globe. It's got some Hummingbirds in it, and it says "Love you, Graham." My my mother uh, was a, had a lot of grandchildren, and she went by Graham. And this was one of the last things that we bought for her, and and I believe it was Mother's Day a gift to her. And after she passed away, we were heading back to North Carolina, and we because this was fragile. We wanted to take this on our carry-on and not uh, put it in our check-in luggage, and so my wife had it. It's all packed up here and uh, protected the best that we could. And I, I wanted to. I want to assure you that the amount of liquid in this snow globe exceeds three ounces. And uh, we we ran into problems. TSA would not let this pass. And if you've ever, I, I mean, I've donated a handful of pocket Leathermans to TSA because, you know, you're late for your flight and you, you're you just stuck. You have to turn it in and you just have to walk away from it. Well, this because of the sentimental value this was my mother's and this was a gift that we gave to her it's like there's no way that we're leaving and my mom or excuse me my wife was actually the one carrying this so she's the one that got stopped by TSA and so I'm waiting and waiting and finally I I got permission to go back to where she was at and she's bawling and crying because it's like we're not gonna just walk away from this and so anyhow they did um, probably because of my wife 's tears, they bent the rules just a little bit, and we figured out a way to where we could leave this box here, and we called my sister, and she was able to come and pick it up a little bit later. It still has on the box her name and contact information. In fact, it's still got the Delta Airlines ticket that they put on this, and so praise the Lord, we missed our flight. But they were able to reroute us, and we got another flight home. But I said all that to say this, that this was a very important thing, and and it demonstrates how important that songbirds were to my mother. She always said about the birds that she felt that when they were singing, they were praising the Lord. And I can hear in my mind, I can't uh, imitate it, but I can hear the way that she would say that so many times that she felt that the songbirds were praising the Lord. One time she bought a cassette tape of songbirds singing and she thought that she would play it real loud with the speakers in her house and that that would attract the songbirds. And she found out that songbirds are very territorial and actually it drove all of the ones away. But, you know, lesson learned. Well, the Bible speaks of many birds, both favorable birds as well as unclean birds. I'm reminded about Solomon who said of the eagle or the way of the eagle in the air. He said, it's too wonderful for me to know. I read about the dove and the contrast of the dove and the raven there after the flood when Noah turned loose the dove and the dove found no clean place for the sole of her foot. And what did she do? She returned and eventually she returned and brought back a, a an olive branch that she had plucked off and how that the Lord used that. The Bible talks about dove's eyes. If you've ever watched a morning dove and just looked at their eyes, there's something about the eye of a dove that's peaceful and gentle and I don't have the words. I'm not very uh, I'm not a good orator and I'm not very descriptive, but if you've ever seen the eye of a, a morning dove, you I think you can understand what I'm saying. Just the gentleness and the kindness and that you see in that eye. The Bible talks about turtle doves or pigeons as part of the Levitical atonement, and especially for those that couldn't afford cattle and so forth, they would bring a turtle dove for a blood sacrifice. And then, of course, how could we forget to mention the sparrows that the Lord Jesus referred to when he said that not even one of them falls to the ground, but what our Heavenly Father knows that it happens. And of course Jesus told that to make a, to make a point with us that if God takes note of insignificant birds that we take for granted, they seem to be everywhere, but certainly the Lord is taking notice and He's aware of everything in our life. Here in our text in verse number 37, Jesus here speaks of the mother hen. Now the term mother hen in modern times is not, it has a very negative term. Oftentimes people derogatively are referred to as a mother hen. It's a person who worries about or watches and cares over people in a way that is annoying or unwanted. And I'm sure that we've all had relatives. Maybe your mother was a mother hen. Maybe you've had an aunt or perhaps a neighbor that was a mother hen and tried to care for you and watch over you in a way that you didn't necessarily want them to. There's all different types of moms. We've all heard of the soccer mom. That's the mom who doesn't wanna keep score and thinks that it's unfair if one team wins or the other doesn't and so forth. And I always referred to the soccer mom as a derogative term. You've heard of the helicopter mom perhaps. The helicopter mom is the mom that's always hovering, always making sure that she's taking care of the kids and some people use that as a derogative term. Then you've got the opposite of the helicopter mom, you have the free-range mom. Now, down at the bottom of the hill where my son lives, they have a whole pasture full of free-range chickens. How many of you have ever seen free-range chickens? I mean, it's just amazing to see all of these red chickens out in the pasture... And uh, I, I I just don't even know how to describe it. And every time we drive by there, and they always move them to a different part of the pasture. And one time here, not long ago, we we pulled in and we thought, where are the hens? Well, they were on the far off part of the pasture. But we always look forward to seeing the free range hens. Free range moms are the opposite. They basically just kind of let their let the kid do whatever they want and figure if they get hurt, then it's good for them, and all of that. There's the do-it-all mom. That's the mom who has schedules for everything. Everything's regimented, and I mean, they're on top from the time they wake up in the morning till the time they go to bed at night. Every single moment is planned and scheduled, and they do everything. They, they spend a lot of time on Pinterest, and the kids, I'm sure, are glad that she does or not. Then there's the hot mess mom. You know the hot mess mom. They're always disheveled. They're always late. They're always in survival mode. They do a lot of this. (sighs) There's the entourage mom. I hadn't heard of this one before. The entourage mom is the one that shows up at the soccer game. And there's always... One or two other moms with their kids always, I mean, the minivan, all of these moms and kids all come out of the same minivan. They never go to the game by theirself. Everything they do, in fact, the entourage mom, people who kind of look at that from the outside, they can't really tell which kids belong to which mom. I've never known anyone like that, but I have certainly seen it from a distance. Then there's the Peter Pan mom. That's the mom that isn't afraid to slide down the slide. Everything that the kids doing, they're out there, they're doing it with. I would imagine that Sister Deanne would be a Peter Pan grandma <laughs> with zip lines and water slides, and Miss Jerry as well, and skydiving and bungee jumping. Some of those things are still on the bucket list. Maybe we should call that the bucket list mom. And then there is the cell phone mom. The cell phone mom. Kids are playing in the park and mom's always got her cell phone in front of her face. And anytime the kids do get attention, it's so that mom can take a picture of them with their cell phone and post it on her Facebook account. We've seen them. Maybe I'm speaking to some that are like that. I'm sure that there's all different ways that we can categorize mothers, but when Jesus uses this mother hen analogy, I think what he's doing is he, he understands by observation the instinctive care. When I say instinctive care, the Bible refers to it as natural affection. And by the way, Paul warned us that in the last days there would be a shortage of natural affection. A lot of times when I think of the lack of natural affection, I certainly think about the abortion agenda. But, you know, you can't just categorize the loss of natural affection just when it comes to mothers who would violate the whole idea of motherhood and to end the life Of their unborn baby. That is certainly a high level of lack of natural affection. But I think that it goes way beyond that. And we find that motherhood and the way that, listen, just because a woman procreates doesn't make her a mother. Being a biological mother doesn't make someone a mother. But God, if we allow it, puts a natural affection, an instinctive care in a mother for her children. And it's so strong that God even uses this concept to make a point about Himself. Isaiah 49, verse number 15. This is God speaking. He said, can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not... Have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. This is God looking down upon Israel, his people. And he uses that as an analogy. Obviously, this natural affection, this mother-hen tendency that God put in mothers is a very, very powerful thing. Now, let me say this to those of you that are raising children or have raised children. Truly caring mothers often feel like they are failing miserably. I've seen that. I've heard that. I've observed that. I want to say this. I, I can't speak for all of every mother that's here or listening on live stream today, but I would imagine, just my observation is that most of you or many of you are probably doing a whole lot better than you realize. There are no perfect mothers and there are no perfect fathers and there are no perfect children. Listen, you can be saved in following the Lord and serving the Lord, but we're all sinners saved by the grace of God. And we all have some baggage that we bring into life. And I would precaution all of us about reacting or overreacting to our own parents. Listen, the pattern for our parenting should come from the Word of God, not a reaction to the parents that we had. You might have had a wonderful mother. You might have had a lousy mother. And I know sometimes we think, well, I'm not going to be that way. And a lot of times, this is the honest truth. And listen, all of you that are still children living at home, Please listen to a pastor who knows what he's talking about. File it away in the back of your mind. Many of the things that you are irritated by your own mother or you criticize or you take offense at or they get on your nerves and frustrate you, most of those things are the things that you need the most. They love you. They're trying to protect you. Just like this mother hen trying to protect her chickens, sometimes we need to acknowledge that mom does know what she's talking about. And sometimes those strong instincts of protection can so often be misunderstood by children and by others. So if you're a truly caring mother, you probably feel beat up most of the time. You feel like you're failing. You're probably doing a whole lot better than you think. Now, having said that, I must say this, however. I don't like what I see in modern motherhood. I don't like it at all. When I go in public places and when I see what's going, and I I believe I'm not being critical. I believe that the Lord himself would agree with my assessment. I'm not being arrogant in that. I just look around and what I see happening. I see children that have a female parent, but they don't have a mother. They don't have a mother that cares enough about them. I see so much selfishness. I see so much worldliness and so much wickedness. I see women today that have given birth to children and you look at them and you think all they care about is how they look and their own self and even the conscientious mothers today are more in the category of being a master manipulator than they are of being women of principle and character. I thank God I had a mother that was a woman of principle and character. I mean, the Bible talks about the law of thy mother. Let me tell you something. I had a mom that she was she loved the Lord, but um, she knew how to lay down the law. And I knew that she was a woman that had principle. I thank God that my children had a mother like that. I don't like what I see in modern motherhood today. I had a mother that could cook a good meal from an empty cupboard. Some of you young people, you've never went to the cupboard or the refrigerator and seen it bare. I can remember times when my dad was pastoring a little church. And uh we were barely making ends meet. And I can remember looking at the cupboard coming home after school and looking. It's like, well, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. What are we going to have for supper? I never worried about it because mom always took care of it. And we always had a good hot meal to eat. It wasn't always what we wanted. But you know what? I'm thankful. I grew up in a home where I didn't eat. I just... Whatever mom put on the table, we just ate it. Right. I, I we m- my mom didn't allow us to be food brats or prima donnas. And when do we have to eat this? And, you know, I know what my mama would have done if I would have said, "When do we have to eat this again?" I would have only done it once. Right. I promise you that. You say, "Well, you had a mean mother." No, I had a mother that had some principle. And she knew she was going to make sure I had food in my belly, but she cared more about my soul than she cared about my taste buds. You know what? I, I, I liked it. I, I didn't like it at the time, but I like it looking back that uh, she didn't allow us to become spoiled or unthankful. And we just didn't question those things. I didn't appreciate it at the time, but I certainly do. I certainly do now. She could make a good, she could make a decent home out of any living condition. There were several times when I was a teenager that dad would, we would move from one house to the next. And dad was, dad was a hard working man, but he didn't have an education. He was just a blue collar worker. And because he was also a preacher and in the ministry, that just really limited some of the jobs that he could take. And so there were times in my teenage years where they were just scraping to get by. And they would find some rental that was a disaster. And mom would get in there and she'd start painting walls and she'd start cleaning stuff up. And she would take something that was a total disaster. I mean, you would look at it, and you'd think this place is going to be condemned, and she would turn it into a nice, clean home. After I was married, uh, dad had got a house. He rented it from uh, a guy that he worked with, or worked for, I should say, and our kids were just little at the time, and my mom went in there, and she cleaned that thing up and made it a home. My my son and, and keep in mind he 's just a little guy here we We would drive by after my dad was killed in the accident and they moved out of that house. My son, when we 'd drive by, he would refer to it as graham 's trash house. <laughs> And he didn't mean anything by it. It's just when, I mean, he was just a little kid helping us when we would go in and help them clean up this house. And he just called it the trash house. <laughs> and uh, she was so good at taking whatever she had to deal with. I never heard her complain about that. She would just roll up her sleeves and she would make the best out of every situation. She was a little rough around the edges, but she had wisdom, character, and principles. And I feel sad for most children today that uh, didn't have a mother like that, and I feel guilty that I didn't appreciate what I had. As I've thought about this message, I really, to be honest with you, I've thought about my mother a little bit. Most of what I've talked about so far this morning has been my mother But I want you to know that as I've thought this past week about today's message, I've really thought more about the mother of my children than I have my mother. I think about the mother of my children and how she was protective but not overprotective. And I know how that mothers get criticized. If you're a protective mother, you're going to get accused of being a helicopter mom when you're not. I I can remember one time years ago when my kids were little, how that uh, she was criticized about bubble wrapping the kids. And I think about that same Christian leader who that came out of their mouth, and I think about the... Total wreck that their kids turned out to be. You know what? I'd take some bubble wrap any day over what I've seen. I I guarantee you, some of you moms could, um, would benefit by borrowing some bubble wrap, being protective. Wouldn't you agree that the Lord understood that that mother hen is supposed to be protective? protecting their children from the harmful things of this world. I'm not talking about not letting them get their knees scraped up. I'm not talking about not letting boys become men. I think that we got to let these boys become men. But I appreciate the spiritual protection above all, and I appreciate that some of the things that she valued, or she valued the things that are not appreciated much today, things like rules, things like character, things like quality. Listen, if we're going to do something, it ought to be done right. Cleanliness. You know, I, I understand that everybody's got a different uh, different standard of cleanliness, and not everybody should be the same, but I think that our children ought to grow up in a clean and a healthy environment. And I appreciate uh, that about my children's mother. I would say about their mother that she truly was a homemaker. And my children were blessed. When they have children of their own, I think that they'll realize how much they were blessed more and more as time goes on. And so as I switch gears from sentimental conversation about mothers and back to our text, uh, I remind you this is Jesus that's talking to Jerusalem, a group of people, and he's using the analogy of a mother hen. And I've already said it once, and I'll say it again, that the Bible teaches us what a good mother should be. And that's what ought to be our pattern. God knows more about human nature than we ever think or can imagine that we know and understand about human nature. In Titus chapter number two and verse number three, it says that the aged women, that's you older Christians, that you should be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Why? That they may teach the young women to be sober, serious, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. Why? That the word of God be not blasphemed. You ever wondered, sometimes we think that Christianity today, that the gospel has lost its power Because, well, there just aren't any good preachers today. We don't have preachers like the preachers of yesterday. You know, there there might be plenty of good and powerful preachers today, but it could be that in Christian culture today, the Word of God is receiving so much blasphemy in the lives of professing believers that it doesn't lend credence, respectability to what's being said from the pulpit. I thank God that when I got my heart right with the Lord, the things that my father-in-law would preach from the pulpit, I didn't look at him like I was all confused and in shock. You know what I said? It's like I grew up in a home where 90% of what I'm hearing from the pulpit, I saw that demonstrated in the home that I grew up in. Now There was 10%. There was some... Baggage and some things that, listen, my, my parents got right with God later on in life and they were under some Christian influences that, listen, I thank God I, I got, I got more of a Bible believing approach to Christianity than what they ever had when they were younger. So I'm grateful for that. But the Bible is being blasphemed, sadly, by Christian mothers today that are listening more to the spirit of this age, patterning themselves after the world out there rather than taking the Word of God seriously. King Lemuel, in Proverbs 31, was instructed to be sexually pure. He was instructed to totally abstain from alcohol. Who taught him that? Mama taught him that. He said, she said, son, you're a king. You're a leader. You're responsible and accountable. And all these things will pervert your judgment if you allow them into your life. Thank God for a mama that would stand up and say, this is right and this is wrong. When I was a teenager, my mom, God used my mom many times to thwart my plans. No, I resented her at the time, but now I look back and I say, thank God, mama stood up. I mean, when my dad was just, oh, he's a good boy. My dad was always kind and gentle, and my dad was being trusting. And Listen, I'm not belittling my dad at all. What a gracious man, but sometimes my dad was kind of overreacting. He grew up with harshness and he kind of overreacted and he didn't want to be overly harsh on me. But sometimes dad was trusting and, you know, inside I'm like, I'm going to get away with this. And then mama would step in and it didn't happen. And I would resent it at the time, but oh, I thank God. I mean, there was a couple times that mama stepped in and I look back, my life could really totally be a wreck today if it wasn't for Mama having some principle and some backbone and saying, you know, one time I, I told a, I mean, I told a doozy about some trip that all of the seniors were going on, and I said it was a school sanctioned trip. Guess what Mama did? She called the office, and the office said, we don't know anything about this. Guess where I didn't go? I didn't go on that trip. I was pretty bummed about that. But now I look back and I say, thank God that mama stepped in. In Proverbs 29, verse 15, it says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Now, think about that. When we think about the rod and reproof, we automatically think that's dad. Daddy's the disciplinarian, and I think that dad should be the main disciplinarian. But notice in Proverbs 29, 15, we don't find dad anywhere mentioned there. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother shame. Listen, moms, stop listening to the world and being afraid that you're going to mess your kids up. They came into this world messed up. It's your job to parent them, to mother them, to give them a fighting chance. They are sinners and they got it from dad. They got it from you. And they, they came into this world messed up. It's mom and dad's God-given responsibility. We can't fix them but we can correct them and we can give them wisdom so that there's a fighting chance that they can come to the one that can fix them and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for godly mothers. I read this story about this young lady who had a farm and they had a lot of chickens and she really got interested in Really watching and observing the chickens. And she wrote this. She said, I I saw this love in action. This is her writing this. I saw this love in action when a hen named Eva jumped our sanctuary fence on a spring day and disappeared, only to return three weeks later in June with eight fluffy chicks. Watching Eva with her tiny brood close behind her was like watching a family of wild birds whose dark and golden feathers blended perfectly with the woods and foliage they melted in and out of during the day. Periodically, Eva would squat down with her feathers puffed out and her peeping chicks would all run under her wings for comfort and warmth. A few minutes later, the family was on the move again. One day, a large dog wandered in front of the magnolia tree where Eva and her chicks were foraging. With her wings outspread and curved menacingly toward the dog, she rushed at him over and over, cackling loudly all the while continuing to push her chicks behind herself with her wings. The dog stood stock still before the excited mother hen and soon gave up and ambled away. But Eva maintained her aggressive posture, her sharp, repetitive cackles, and attentive lookout for several minutes after he was gone. You know, a godly mother understands that the devil's trying to get our children. And they take that very, very seriously. So as we think about Jesus, and Jesus refers to himself in our text. Look at our text once again. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Jesus is thinking of himself in light of this mother hen. Who was he wanting to protect Jerusalem from? I would say from themselves. Folks, that's really where most of our problem comes from, this old sin nature that's in us. But first of all, and here's my message, it's really a quick message. Number one, he spoke to them in tones of compassion. Don't you hear compassion when he says, starts out, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I don't know what his voice sounded like, but to me without any shadow of a doubt, when he says, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I hear it in my mind's eye as tones of compassion. Secondly, I see that he told them the truth about themselves. He didn't tell them what they wanted to hear. He told them what they needed to hear. He says, You've been killing the prophets. You've been stoning the men of God that I've sent to you to tell you the truth. Now, we won't take the time, but if you're not familiar with this text, of Matthew 23, you ought to go back and read it, because this entire chapter is a scathing rebuke that Jesus has for all of these Pharisees in Jerusalem. I mean, he calls them snakes and vipers and hypocrites, and he just goes on down the line, and he has nothing positive to say about these people. He told them the truth about himself, about themselves, I should say. In Proverbs 1.8, it says, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. As that mother hen, Jesus looked out upon Jerusalem... And he says, I'm not doing you any favor if I just tell you what you want to hear. Listen, these professing, I mean, these were religious people here. These are people that think that they are the stuff. They think they're on their way to heaven. And they've missed it by a mile. And Jesus is letting them have it verbally. As I said in Sunday school, he's doing it in a very Christ-like way. Because everything that Jesus said was Christ-like. Now I'm not gonna be like some Baptist preachers and I'm not gonna take this very minor portion of what Jesus said and use it as an excuse to get up here on the pulpit and rail and say a bunch of derogative things about people. I think we've gotta be very careful with that. In the first place, I'm not Jesus. And in the second place, a lot of what's said from men of God that's derogative is not helpful. It's just mean. And it's more venting than it is preaching. I've been there and I've done that. And I don't want to be that way. I want to, I want to trust that the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God is all that's needed to touch your heart and to correct you and get you to see the truth. So Jesus spoke to them in tones of compassion. He told them the truth about themselves. But then the third point is he was patient and persistent with them. Notice he says here, how often would I have gathered you together? How often? He didn't just tell them once. He told them many, many times. He didn't just use one voice. He used another voice. He sent a preacher, a pastor, a prophet, an evangelist. He, 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 he had, he directed them to a radio program where he's speaking and he's pleading. Listen, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ as that mother hen, he is speaking to you. How often is he trying to get your attention? I know sometimes you come, you feel that tug of your conscience. You come to church and something said, and you know down deep that, hey, I'm not right with God. Maybe you're here this morning and you know down deep you're not born again. You know that you're empty and something's missing inside. And the preacher says something and you're thinking, you know what? Maybe I need to do something about it. Maybe I need to, to just forget about this little prayer that I prayed when I was five or six or seven that I don't even feel like I know God. And, and you feel like maybe I ought to do that and then you get over it. You think, ah, well, I'll just, I'll wait. I'll do it another time and you leave. And then that feeling kind of goes away or it comes and goes. And sometimes when you're all alone and in the quietness of your own thoughts and the Holy Spirit saying, you didn't really get saved. You didn't mean that. You were just, you were just responding to your Sunday school teacher. You were just responding to the preacher or the, you don't, you don't remember the Holy Spirit of God really getting a hold of your heart and conviction. Hey, if you're, if you're in that If you're in that condition this morning, you know why you're feeling that way? Because Jesus as a mother hen is once again, how oft would I have gathered you? He is once again often pleading with you, wanting to gather you, wanting to get you to chuck that false profession and get the real deal and get born again. Jesus was so patient. And I also remind you that here in this chapter where he rebukes them, I mean so boldly, he has already been working with them for years and years trying to get their attention. He's been patient and he's been persistent. And then my last point, number four, ultimately, as a mother hen, he knew that they had to choose. How often, he said, would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings. These last four words are heartbreaking words, and he would not, and he would not. I don't know what the crowd was thinking. There might have been one over here. It's like, well, I'm, I know I need to, but I'm not ready yet. One over here. It's like, well, who does he think that he is? I'm okay. I'm fine. Hey, I got... I've got success in my life. My life is good. It's just the way that I want. Let me tell you something. If you're building your house upon the sand, if you're not building it upon the Word of God, one of these days the storm's going to come and you ain't going to be okay. God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, as that mother hen is saying, I want to gather you under my wings. Listen, those little chickens, those little chicks were not saying, Mama, control me. They had minds of their own. They had lives of their own, but they recognized that Mama knows what's best for me. Mama is not trying to control me. Mama is trying to protect me. Mama's trying to shelter me. Mama's trying to make sure that I have the spiritual needs that they're being met. Why? Because Mama instinctively loves me. Ladies and gentlemen, God instinctively loves you. Jesus Christ instinctively loves you and He has a heart's desire to gather you, but you have to make that decision. He's not going to force you under His wings. He's not going to force you to follow Him. He's going to spread those wings out. And I hope and I pray that... God won't say of you some day, and ye would not. Mama knows best. Mother hen knows best. But I close with this statement: He, and I'm speaking of Jesus Christ. He knows what's best for you. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets. I know there's no one here that's killing prophets. I hope. I realize that that's excessive, and he's speaking to an excessive group. But he's not talking about the degree. If you're not under the shelter of his wings, if, you have, if you're not saved, you need to come to Jesus. If you're not right with God as a believer, you need to get right with God because he knows what's best for you. Do you trust him? Or do you just want to be that foolish chicken that's just going to wander away until the fox or the wolf or the dangers that are away from Mama Hen end up destroying your life? He knows what's best for you.